It's an absolute privilege to welcome back to the show. Michael Broadcorp is kind enough to join us today as uh, uh, of course, uh, you've known him many times. We've had him on the air to give us a perspective of how uh, you know politics from the, the right side of the aisle. He has, uh, of course, uh, done his own podcast, The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky. We're going to talk about that. But as well, for many people out there, including myself, uh, we he, he had a, a fairly serious accident and uh, was uh, out of commission for a little bit. But he is back, and he's kind enough today to join us to talk for an extended period of time today in this hour about uh, multiple things. Michael, first of all, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Thank you so much for the invitation to be here today. Um, from myself, from from Patrick and Brett, and from everyone here at the station, I'm, I'm so glad your recovery is going well here. Uh, all my best on this. Anything, dude, anything you need from me, you got my number. You call me. You let me know by all means. If, if you don't mind, uh, why don't you take a few minutes, just remind everyone what exactly happened and, and how your recovery is going. Thank you. Um, so in April, end of April, I was hit by a car outside my house, Oof. and... Uh, I, I just have to describe to your listeners, uh, getting hit by a car is not a, a small task. It's, it was much more, uh, serious than I originally had known. And the biggest issue that I had, uh, aside from, you know, tailbone ribs and other injuries, but the issue that really kind of concerned me is that, um, a couple weeks after getting hit by a car, I was, I did a podcast, as you mentioned, and I began to notice some issues with my speech mm-hmm. and I uh, had some slurring of the words. I was having trouble finding words. Um, and so I'm appreciative that the podcast brought out some issues that I was having. Uh, and so I had to take a break from that. I engaged in some speech therapy and I'm still, still doing that. This is in fact my first kind of live interview that I've done, um, but I'm really excited about doing it. I feel confident in doing it. But it was just kind of scary uh, from, you know, someone for me that needs to use, needs to talk, needs to use their voice, needs to, you know, it's important. I like doing media interviews aside from podcasts. And so it was a little bit scary, but I spent some time with a great care team and I've gone through a number of things. And so I'm ready to I'm ready to be back and I'm excited to be here today. But thank you so much for your concern, your thoughts. Uh, and it just was very appreciated. The uh, and 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 I can't tell you, you and I are kind of brothers in arms in this at this point. After what happened to me yes. in December, it is. Uh, I, I give a lot of praise to the fine folks at Southdale. Do you you want to shout out to the the medical people that you worked with that had it, you, with your emergency there and give them a oh, lot yes. of praise? Yeah, the the the, the care team at Park Nicollet has just been astounding, and, and the follow up and the care. I'd like to. I wish I had the platform like David Letterman had. After he had heart surgery, mm-hmm. uh, he brought his whole entire care team on stage. I wish I had that type of platform, but but the, the care team that I've had uh, over the last few weeks and months have been nothing short of miraculous, whether, whether it's been physical therapy, uh, whether it's been speech therapy and other type of emergency care that I've needed. Uh, it's, it's just been remarkable, and uh, we've got a great hospital system in this state, and I'm very appreciative of the care and support that they gave, aside from my friends and my family, my, my family and my wife and kids have just been remarkable and, and above anyone else that deserves appreciation. They do, too. Uh, you you are getting back at it, though. And uh, the breakdown with Broad Corbin Becky is your podcast. You talk to a lot of people uh, on the Republican side in the state and, and you go in with you know, from fairly you know heavy hitting interviews on this. You don't pull your punches there. It is the, the, the breakdown with Broad Corbin Becky is available pretty much every podcast site, correct? Correct. Yes. All right. You uh, you got Scott Jensen 
Uh, I, I got to start with the question. Did you contact Jensen or did Jensen get in touch with you guys? So let, let me just, yeah, let me kind of set the table here. You know, people have known me over the years for, you know, whether they knew me, you know, I was doing more partisan work or stuff. One of the, the things that Becky and I have tried to do, Becky, share who I host the podcast with, have tried to do on the breakdown on our podcast is to have just responsible conversations, for lack of a better phrase, a safe space where people could ask questions and we can be, we can disagree with each other, but not be disagreeable. Mm-hmm. And it's fair to say that when we, when I started the podcast, Becky and I started the podcast in November, the person who came up the most as a potential guest was Scott Jensen. And I shied away from it because I had questions as to how thoughtful of an exchange it would be uh, based on my positions that I've taken. And I take a lot of that on myself, uh, positions I took in the governor's race and how I critiqued his campaign. I just didn't know how thought it, thoughtful it would be. And like our conversations, Matt, it's really important to me that what the work product that we're, uh, we're producing on the podcast is thoughtful and just not a screaming match and just arguments. I think there's way too much of that. Mm-hmm. That's why I appreciate our conversations. So Jensen had an op-ed in the Star Tribune where he was talking about how the, how the, how the Republicans and I think the greater state needs to have a discussion on abortion. Uh, and I reached out to him and he got back. He was very responsive. He was available to come on. Uh, he was incredibly flexible and accommodating with his time. And the first time I met him was when we did the interview. Mm-hmm. The and we should note. I mean, you you did have a lot of criticism. It wasn't that you you weren't you know supporting of the Republicans per se, but you were saying this was a person that started his campaign out by basically you know embracing the anti-vaxxer movement and based in embracing the you know anti you know kind of the anti-masking movement and kind of that extreme. And you were the first to point out, it's like that's not going to fly in the suburbs. That's just not. And and then you and I multiple times brought up the fact that one of the arguments Jensen was making was bodily autonomy that you know this is why you if you don't want vaccine you shouldn't have to get it if you don't want to wear a mask you shouldn't have to wear it but yet then he was running on a campaign which even though the roe v wade was overturned last year there was still this this kind of indecisiveness on the right on where they go with that issue because it had been a bread and butter issue for them for many many years and it would it really kind of put him in a tough spot Something that, you know, that wasn't political or, you know, mean-spirited or anything. That was just observation. And I think that that was something that, as you pointed out, contributed to the fact that he just did not resonate, particularly in the suburbs. Correct. I would say to you that, and it's something that we also talked about on the show a couple times, uh, the issue of abortion. I mean, the Dobbs decision uh, fundamentally flipped the race, flipped, you know, the election, I think, in, in the last cycle. I think, as you and I discussed, I think most analysts believed that political analysts and people that were giving commentary that it was going to be a good year for Republicans nationally and potentially in Minnesota, and likely in Minnesota. And I think the Dobbs decision flipped that upside down. I think it also tripped up uh, Jensen and his campaign. And Jensen was incredibly candid in discussing from his perspective, uh, and we agreed on a lot of that. You know, I think that. Republicans have benefited over the years, the, since, you know, the, not a couple of years, but a few decades, post Roe v. Wade being decided, that they could take, Republicans could take positions on abortion, and they had the safeguard of Roe v. Wade, and that they could discuss the issue of abortion 
in with with having the backstop of Roe v. Wade. And what I mean by that is that there wasn't any um, – they could take positions that weren't, in some instances, grounded in the reality of where the electorate was. Because the truth is, is that absent Roe v. Wade being excluded – a lot of the it wasn't the positions that the Republicans were staking out. There wasn't a realistic, there wasn't a reality that those positions would become law. Mm-hmm. And once you take once the Dobbs decision came out, it became possible for what the Republican message had been or the policy platform that they have taken could potentially become law in states across the country. And I think that tripped Jensen up. Mm-hmm. And what I have to respect Jensen for. And I do, and I said this on the air, and I've said this on your show before, Matt, is that Republicans are the party of personal responsibility until it comes to elections. And there's been, there's just not enough thoughtful analysis that's done post-election. What Jensen did on our podcast, and the, what he's attempting to do, is something that I think is quite remarkable and something that I haven't seen. In a sense that you have a candidate willing to be introspective about their shortcomings, their campaign staff shortcomings, and how they could have positioned themselves to win. Mm-hmm. And I think it's insightful. I think it's refreshing. Now, I think it's up for people, other people to determine, and everyone gets to make a decision on what, what's Jensen's agenda or reason for doing this. All I can say to you is that I sat across from him, and it was a thoughtful conversation uh, about where, and I think what he, where he wants to go on this issue, I think makes a lot of sense for the party, for Republicans to figure out, and I'm glad that he was willing to do it. Can and I, I was impressed by his thoughtfulness. Is it all right if we play this clip from this show that you had sent me? Okay, this is your a, show. Is it, well, it, it, but it's your show I'm going to be playing here. It's the breakdown yeah. with Broadcorp and Becky. This is, this is Scott Jensen uh, with, with some introspection about his loss last year uh, on and the governor's race. Uh, Patrick, whenever you're ready, go ahead and play that. Bottom line is, I think that I'll probably take to my grave the realization that when I began my candidacy to be governor of Minnesota, I did so without really doing perhaps the soul-searching I could have done in terms of where I was going to land on the issue of abortion because I am personally pro-life, and yet I'm cognizant of the fact that Bodily autonomy is, for many people, directly connected to the notion of having pro-choice. And I'd been a big advocate for being able to say no thank you to a COVID vaccine because I wanted bodily autonomy. And yet that sharp, seemingly apparent hypocrisy of saying, you don't get to have bodily autonomy, but I do. It was a, a challenge, and uh, it was uncomfortable for me. I don't mind. That was, and 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 that is a a a, a shocking bit of introspection and self reflection on Jensen, and something that you and I had brought up. You know, this is you know, you, you know that is a pretty strong statement, and Michelle Tafoya as well has been very vocal that post that election that you said, guys, we have to move away from the abortion issue. The this is this is something which. Once again, it's, you know, when you're looking at the state of Minnesota, it's, it's Minneapolis, St. Paul, it's the big cities, it's the suburban areas, and it's outstate Minnesota. 
And this is an issue, you know, choice is not something which, you know, being anti-choice doesn't resonate nearly as much as it used to in the suburbs. And this is becoming a bit of a toxic pill if this is continues to be the path that the Republican Party is on. Correct. And, and I will say this to you. Um, I think of, until Republicans figure out where they are at abortion, and they're not, I don't think they're going to be successful statewide. And what I mean by where they figure out, unless the party becomes more open to to the to people and inviting them into the party who have who are pro choice, who rec, who and I think they're just not going to be successful. It, the Republican Party cannot campaign. The Republican a Republican candidate is not going to win statewide talking about abortion in the terms that Jensen did. And I think Jensen recognizes that. And I think that the party needs to listen. And, and, and it's interesting that I'm saying this because I was a critic of Jensen, but he is really taking on a Herculean task right now. And I think for people need to listen to what he has to say, because he just went through the process. Here is someone who just went through the endorsement process. Um, and I think it's very clear that Jensen took positions and moved through the party process and and took some positions inside the party based on the delegates and based on what the delegates want to hear. Mm-hmm. And the self-reflection that Jensen is taking, I think others need to follow his his lead on that because the party itself needs to recognize that candidates are not being rewarded through the party process, it's not successful. And But ultimately, what I think needs to happen is that the party has to, the Republican Party has to be open to, uh, it needs to be aware of the fact that its position on abortion, particularly running as a statewide ticket, is not going to put a candidate in, 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 in a path to win. The Republican Party has never knowingly endorsed a pro-choice candidate for statewide office. And... Jens, what, the discussion that Jensen is having and he wants to have, I can't begin to tell you how substantive it is inside party politics. Mm-hmm. And this uh, abortion is going, I think, going to continue to trip up Republicans until they realize that, that their position of, of where the party currently stands on abortion is just out of step with Minnesotans. Uh, you know, to even get to a place of saying things like uh, the party's position on abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. Um, I don't think that would be a winnable message. I don't. I don't know that it, that could a candidate who came out and said, uh, "I think abortion should be safe, legal, and rare." I don't know that they would get endorsed. Yeah. And the reality is that I think the party that activists inside the party right now are so willing to stick to their principles at the expense of being elected to office. And the truth of the matter is, is that the the body politic in Minnesota, I think, has made it very clear that on the issue of abortion, where they want the state to be. And Republicans, I think, are behind on this issue. Mm-hmm. And they have to have open and frank conversations about where they go, or they're not going to get elected statewide. This opens up an entire, lar- a much larger discussion and a much larger analysis that needs to happen But unfortunately, I think for the Republicans in this state and I think in other states as well, 
is you've really got two separate Republican parties. You've got the Republicans who represent these rural, very red areas where what sells there is the most extreme, the most far right, the most, you know, the, 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 the real heavy duty talking points of no abortion ever, these sort of things. And that's where the party base is. That is where a lot – I mean, in, in, if you're a Republican candidate, you have to have all those voters show up and vote. On the other side, you have – the game plan was, OK, we'll, we'll forsake Minneapolis and St. Paul, but if we can hold the suburbs, there we go. The suburbs are not a an area where that message kind of relies. And when I personally, Michael – and dealing with representatives and senators and the Republican side who seem to be far more interested in being an internet troll than representing their own districts. It, 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 I don't know how you get out of this mess because the people that represent those really red, beat red districts do not want to give up their power in choosing who is exactly going to be the Republican nominee. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, no disrespect to some of these, these local candidates. But Wright County is not reflective of the rest of the state of Minnesota. Uh, it's just not. And, and, you know, speaking specifically about Wright County for a second, it's, 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 you know, it's just not. I would argue that Dakota County is much more reflective of the state as a whole than where Wright County is. But if you look at the, where a lot of the organizational strength in the party comes from, you're exactly right. The problem is, is that we have where the, where the endorsement process happens, is through rock is through solid red districts. That's where the endorsement process happens. And so, in order to win over those delegates, you have to speak like those delegates. But the problem is, is that Wright County is not reflective of where the state is. Mm-hmm. The entire state is. It's just not. And the problem, and I think I don't. I think it's very difficult for Republicans, a lot of Republicans, to wrap their head around this. And, and my hope is that Jensen is able to help steer and lead this conversation because he just got the party's endorsement. And what's significant about what he's saying is, particularly in the Republican Party, is candidates generally, you know, get endorsed, go away. If they lose, they go away, or they come back a couple years later and they try to run. But the, the path that I think Jensen is taking, which I think is so remarkable and significant, is that he's taking out the, he's taking the path of, I was just endorsed. I want to try to reform where this party is going on the issue of abortion and the endorsement process, because I think he realizes after the election and after losing the mistakes that were made. Now, mm-hmm. I, you know, he was the candidate. I also think it's pretty clear in the interview that Jensen is critical of some of his staff. And I think a lot of the people that worked on Jensen's campaign have to accept accountability for the fact that, It's very clear they gave their candidate poor advice. It's clear that they steered him down a road that wasn't successful. And I also think Jensen was candid in the interview about examples where he was fed information too quickly and it hadn't been vetted before it got out publicly. And that is a campaign staff issue. I understand Jensen's name's on the side, billboard. He's the candidate and other things like that. But the reality is that campaigns are managed and run by staff. And I think Jensen was It's very clear in the interview that Jensen, I think, acknowledges the staff involvement in not putting him in a situation to succeed. 
And you know, having listened to the interview and just listened to what you said, it's really remarkable what he said on the podcast. And he should be complimented and encouraged to speak up more about that because it's important for people to hear it. I would give – it is an exceptional – bird's eye view of what the problem is for the Republicans. It is absolutely, it's a consistency of message. And here's where that problem comes back, is that you've got too many people in the Republican Party who have, who write their own press and then love and then convince themselves their own press releases are truth. They're more concerned about their 20 or so Twitter followers than they are there. And he's putting out very legitimate advice, something that the Republican Party should take to heart, but the reality is, is people that don't want to hear that, that want to hear their own, you know, talking points pushed are going to say, well, he's the loser. He lost. If he was a good guy, we should listen to. He should have won. I'm going to continue down this path. It was something I mean, it was, it was uh, Ron Paul kind of this is kind of still an offset of what happened when Ron Paul realized you could kind of push a political party to an extreme by basically taking over these state elections, uh, you know, the, the primary process in these individual states. And it was relatively easy for him to do. And this is where we're at. So when you get into these really red areas. I, I don't know how exactly the Republican Party says you guys have to understand what you're what you're going out there and you're saying at the barbecues and on the radio interviews and in the print interviews and at your political rallies. If that stuff gets out, it's going to poison us all down the line and, and get Republicans that understand that you can't just push extremism, extremism, extremism and think that it's going to sell outside of that one specific really red district. Correct. I completely agree with you, and and I don't know how far uh, your analysis will go inside the party, but I would, Matt. I, I, I think you're I, in our in the Republican Party. I think you're absolutely spot on, and 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 what I, I hope that people can do uh, is set aside where the analysis is coming from and listen to the analysis. Um, I think that uh, during the election, I think a lot of the Jensen supporters. Uh, uh, blew off, I think, thoughtful analysis and criticism because they thought they, they were they were the smartest in in the room and they didn't want to listen to anyone. They they just had a little bit of tunnel vision. I think post election and particularly what Jensen has done that I think is so significant is I think he's he's mainstreamed inside the party having this conversation. And your comments also, I think, are incredibly insightful for Republicans to hear. And important for them to hear. Mm-hmm. I, I tell you what, I, I want to take a break. I, I'm, I'm very glad you're able to take some time, an extended period of time with us, because this is a great conversation. Uh, you know, I, the, I, I want to come back a little bit more on this, talk more about this individual podcast interview with, with, uh, of, of, with Jensen. But as well, I do have to remind everyone, Michael is officially our Vikings guy. And so he is back. I, I am bum, going, bum, bum. Uh, I'm, I'm going to, at the, at the end of this, we're going to talk a little Vikings talk because it's we're getting ready for camps. We're getting ready for this. I want to get your thoughts on where the team is after the off season. We'll talk about that as well. Michael Broadcorp, kind enough to join us. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950.
AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Uh, kind enough to join us today to talk about uh, his uh, interview with Scott Jensen, his Michael Broadcorp. And once again, you can find that uh, that interview uh, with his uh, um, the uh, with his uh, podcast, which is The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky. Find it at your favorite podcast sites there, and you can get a good insight into what's going on within Republican politics uh, in Minnesota today. Michael, uh, you know, it's interesting because one of the things, like I said, Jensen has a real bird's eye view here. What the problem is, and it, it's something yeah. that it, it's something that is. I mean, what what the Republicans really kind of need to do is, if I, if I may suggest, re, you know, revisit the days of Reagan where they had fiscally conservative and much more socially liberal Republicans. The Ventura mentality. It doesn't do you a lot of good to have a candidate who says, "I'm a middle of the road guy." A Rod Grams, a Mark Kennedy, who goes on out, becomes a very extreme person, then comes back and tries to say, hey, I'm not really that as extreme as my record says. You you need to find candidates. And I guess the question is, is that even – I think we're looking a few election cycles away, but is that even possible that we could – that the Republican Party would be able to instigate some, some rules that would say, you know, we're not going to allow you to push your own personal agenda against the party – uh, and force the party further and further to the extreme at the expense of the party statewide. Uh, I think it would be uh, Matt again. I, I hope so. I hope so. And, and, you know, one of the things, Matt, I think that the party needs to do is the party activists from the, the chair of the party all the way down to the volunteers have to reevaluate and be as introspective. And again, whether it's coming from Scott Jensen, whether it's coming from me, or whether it's coming from Matt McNeil, I think the analysis that you're offering is, needs to happen. It's simply not working. The truth is, is that I don't know if Mark Kennedy could get endorsed, if Rod Grams could get endorsed. Mm-hmm. I guarantee I don't think Tim Pawlenty could get endorsed. No. And that's the reality. I don't think that Norm Coleman could get endorsed. And that's just sad to think about where the party is. I also will say to you, and, 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 you know, maybe it comes uh, a lot from our conversations that we've had over the years, Matt, but it's so important that Republicans can have these types of conversations. And I know you're not a Republican, but to have that type of conversation with Jensen is what the party needs to do right now. And you are spot on what gets the news right now and what Republicans seem to be much more engaged with is the kind of vitriol and not moving the, and the vitriol and, and the, you know, the, the, a lot of the, the keyboard warriors, but we're not having the insightful conversations. And I will say to you, the, the interview that I had with Scott Jensen is probably the, one of the most significant conversations I've had in, in all my years with someone about the party. And, you know, that, and, and I've been, you know, uh, uh, whether volunteer, paid staffer, party officer, or an observer of politics, as I'm largely in this day. I think that the Jensen interview is probably the most, if not the most significant conversation I've had with a stakeholder mm-hmm. in the direction where the party goes. And, and it's going to be surprising for people for me to say that because I was such a critic of Jensen. But again, where was my criticism based? And I did discuss this a bit in the interview. I didn't meet Scott Jensen until the Sunday that we conducted the interview. But what I heard about Scott Jensen when he was in the Senate was that he was someone who wanted to have conversations, who wanted to be a part of discussions, and understood that, that compromise was not the great enemy that activists inside the party had. 
And I said to people, well, what I heard about Scott Jensen in the Senate, I would have liked that guy. That guy could have potentially won. But what happened is when that type of Scott Jensen gets put into the party process, what comes out the other end is not an electable candidate. And I think Scott Jensen has some responsibility for that. And he's willing to have those conversations. But I think the party activists also have to have those same conversations because I don't think that the party rewarded and was as helpful as they could have been in putting Scott Jensen in a situation to succeed. Again, I understand he's the candidate and his name's on, his name's on the side, but there is a partnership that exists between campaigns and the party process and the candidates. And in this particular instance, I don't think the party did the, what they could do mm-hmm. to help get Scott Jensen over the finish line. The yeah, it, it's you, you can't have that Cobra Kai mentality. You can't it can't just be all or nothing. Yes. And I think that that's part of the problem is that they're we're going to force them to do what we say. I mean, we 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 joked about last year about the jamming things down people's throats. I mean, you can't that that's not a good sell, and that's a hard problem. Okay, so you you talk about you know his overview, his his retrospection, his his basically calling out the fact that the people the, there were people around him that weren't helping him out. What were one of the other one of the other two things that you in this Jensen interview that you came away with saying, wow, that's that's an interesting perspective. Well, he talked about the endorsement process, which was significant, and that that that, and it's one of the points that I, is is how the endorsement process is in need of reform and repair. You know, Republicans spend far too much significance on an intramural contest. It's something that we've talked about before. And what happens is, is candidates become all in on winning the endorsements, and it is an it is a it is an intramural. It's like winning a preseason game. It's just insignificant in in, in the grander scheme of things. It's part of the process. But Republicans put far too much emphasis on the endorsement process. And Jensen was candid and talked about the need that should he run again or should a candidate that he, he was encouraging candidates to go to the endorsement, just to seek the endorsement, but not abide by the endorsement and run in the primary. And, and if he were to run again, Jensen would adopt that model. And that's significant because Republicans have come to uh, revere uh, and love the endorsement process. When I was a party officer, it was my obligation to ensure that candidates abided by the endorsement process because it was significant. But it's become to the point where there's so much spending on the endorsement process. I mean, one of the examples I'd like to bring up is, is Jeff Johnson's race in 2014. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a campaign that's had, that spent money to have, to serve oysters on the half shell to delegates at the convention in Rochester to try to win their endorsement, but that same campaign didn't have money to run ads to the level which they needed to in November to win. And it shows how the, the endorsement process has become far too significant of a monetary hurdle that Republicans or monetary obligation inside the party process. And Jensen talked about that and incredibly insightful and significant because there have been Republicans who I will say this very smart, smart operatives, people with experience who understand that the endorsement process is not producing candidates that can succeed. Mm -hmm. And there's far too much money being spent on it. Incredibly insightful that Jensen would be willing to take that on significant and important. And, and just one last thing on this is: do you, do you think you will be able to look at 
say say you pull out the the hundred or so, two hundred or so convention delegates that come from the most red, deep red parts of the state. Do you think you could talk to them beforehand and say, guys, focus on electability? Don't just focus on who's saying every dog whistle thing that gets your tail wagon. Talk about electability because as much as your district is far red, they have to win suburbs. And if they can't win the suburbs, we don't have a chance. Do you think that there is an ability to, you know, sit down, look at them and say, you know what, here, here's our path to victory. We need you guys to get on board. I think it's possible to have those conversations. I don't know how receptive people will be. Mm-hmm. Make no mistake about it. I think what Jensen is laying out, uh, is, is going to be an absolute street fight. I don't think yeah. anyone's going to give, I don't think any local party unit is going to give up their power will, just easily. And I think it's comfortable. It's, and the discussions that I think Jensen wants to have, I think the conversations that I've tried to have with activists, yeah. I think they're uncomfortable conversations, but I hope that they're willing to have them. But I don't think it's going to be easy I think it's going to be a street fight. And, and unfortunately, I think you may be right. It may be a cycle or two down the road before we get it. But the reality is that if looking at the election results, what Republicans have been doing in this state to win elections has not been successful, and they need to win elections. And to give you credit, you were pegging this problem two years ago. Two years ago, you were pegging this problem. And it's nice to see Scott Jensen come around, and I think he has a lot of weight within the party. And once again, I mentioned Michelle Tafoya kind of mentioned it after the election. I, I think more people are starting to say this. It just depends on the audience. And I agree with you. Your, your comment there, it's a street fight, is the most the, one of the better comments I've heard on politics in this state in a year. Uh, the Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky is the podcast. The Scott Jensen one is out there. Go find it. It is everywhere after Apple, Spotify, podcast, YouTube. Uh, I will put the link out for that. Go listen to it and subscribe and enjoy this. You can't, we can't make our state better unless we understand the politics from all angles. And I think this is, this is an important element. If you want to be smarter at politics, listen to Michael Broadcorp uh, and, uh, and, and this podcast. And I should mention Jeff Kolb as well, helping you out with that as well. So, uh, Thank you, sir. No problem. Now let's get into the fun part. I know you're excited. Well, let's, first of all, you went and saw the Barbie movie twice this weekend. Did I, did I say that correct? You did. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. I think, uh, yes, I did see it twice and just very briefly. Uh, I encourage everyone to listen to it, to, I mean, to go see it. I think the Barbie movie will be is going to become like, um, I don't know if you ever saw the Rocky Horror Picture Show in oh, the yeah. movie theater, but people you know, dress up, they dance, they know the numbers, they know the lines. I think it's going to be like that. There's a number of like kind of musical, there's a couple songs and, and performances in the movie that I think uh, will have that type of effect. I think it's going to be a movie that is just is just going to have an incredible lasting effect. Interesting. I saw it on Thursday night mm-hmm. with my daughters and and a couple friends, um, and there were people dressed up. There were people in you know pink and excited, glitz and glam. As you know, Matt, it not might not be surprising to your listeners. I don't go to a lot of glitz and glam events. I'm <laughs> yes. not a glitz and glam guy. But Thursday night was was there was a level of that. So I went last night with my entire family. Uh, 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 son and, and wife and, and, and other and a couple other relatives and uh, it was over the top. I mean, it was the closest thing that I'm probably going to experience to like a red carpet event. Wow! Uh, it was just dramatic inside. Uh, there were you know there were kids that there were you know little girls that had their Barbie dolls and it was it was just it was just a great movie and a great experience. And go see it. 
Uh, I encourage all your listeners. I'm not paid. This isn't a paid endorsement. No. Uh, but it's just go see it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, my daughter, indeed, pink. I, I didn't know she owned so much pink, and they they had it on Thursday night. It really is genera- uh, resonating with Generation Z for sure. They 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 really love it, and I, I think this is one of those cultural moments that we need to make sure we take uh, yeah. credit for. So, uh, you and last year, in case you missed this, Michael Broadcorp is a huge Vikings fan, and I said, fine, we need a Vikings guy. So he became our Vikings person. We had him on. We'll talk about Vikings and stuff like that. Uh, we'll have him. When we come up and uh, this uh, the season goes, we'll have them on throughout the season to talk about the games uh, that they're coming up. I have no problem in doing that. Uh, you, of course, have been focusing on uh, on the team, watching the team. Your thoughts as as the Vikings get ready. I mean, Kirk Cousins is sure getting a lot of great press with that Netflix show. Well, and and that if your listeners, you also you also know that you're speaking to someone who made an appearance in that Netflix that yeah. Netflix show. <laughs> yes, you did. I mean, I, I am, I am, and 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 I really, I'm glad for you know. I think I helped drive the ratings, uh, you know, by being in in the in the crowd, uh, doing the skull chant. I think it was beneficial, and it's been a real team effort between Kirk Cousins and I to bring some <laughs> attention to that 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 Netflix documentary. And uh, I'm really excited about that. No, it is getting some good press. Um, I think that there is a, 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 this, a, a humbleness that he has. He doesn't fit, I think, the traditional mode of, of NFL quarterbacks. Uh, on paper, Kurt Cousins is a great quarterback. Uh, and and I, I have kind of a little bit of a, a not a love-hate, but a love-disappointment relationship a little bit with Kurt Cousins. And so, I mean, I think the general consensus coming into the season is that this could potentially be somewhat of a rebuilding year. But we'll see. We new defensive coordinator, um, and we got to see what they're able to pull together. There was a lot of surprises last season um, in how the team did, uh, and, and the record that they had. And but I'm you know I'm as excited as I've ever been. Coming off my appearance in the quarterback on Netflix, mm-hmm. I'm coming into this season as energized as I could be. Dalvin Cook going away is how much of an, I mean, obviously you said that's a lot of people point to that and say rebuilding year, but I would also say Justin Jefferson is still there. And as long yeah. as you have him on the field, you can throw into triple coverage and he'll come down with it somehow. It's, you really do have weapons on this team. Uh, Hockle's in the tight end. You do have, you, you had a fairly deep, I was looking back at uh, that Colts game, the Buffalo game. You have a lot of deep running backs there. Uh, you know, are, are we really going to miss Cook that much, or do you think that there's going to be enough, uh, you know, you know, players coming in that that will offset that? I I was a big Dalvin Cook fan, mm-hmm. and I don't think he's landed. I just checked the wire right now. I don't think he's landed with anyone yet. I think there's a there's talk about him potentially, you know, going to the, going to the Patriots. Um, I still, I mean, I, I think it's pretty clear based on you know the offer that the Vikings made. I, I think there's money there on the table for him if he wants to take it. I just don't think he wants to. I don't think he wants to come back to Minnesota, but we'll see. I'd love if he came back on back because I was a big Dalvin Cook fan. And yes, Justin Jefferson um, is is just a, is an explosive offensive player. Uh, I like I like the combination of Justin Jefferson with Dalvin Cook, but but the Vikings made that decision, and so I just hope you're right in saying. I guess I guess my bias in, in my, my, my my respect for Dalvin Cook is maybe part of the reason why I'm saying rebuilding here, but hopefully they're able to fill that hole um, with Dalvin Carr because I think he was an explosive player. I think he's a strong player, uh, and I think he, he really brought some energy to that team, 
And so hopefully uh, they can fill that. And, and it's not as much as a rebuild, rebuilding year as I think a lot of people are talking about. He's 27 years old. There is a epidemic in the NFL about paying older running backs long-term contracts. Uh, Miami, by the way, is another team I've heard that is interested in them. Patrick, is there any other team you've heard of that's uh, interested? Uh, I've heard the New York Jets thrown in a little bit on Cook as well. Ooh. Oh, that'd be interesting. Uh, but I, it will be, I think the Vikings put a fair offer out there, and I agree with you. I don't think Cook wants to be here, and someone will offer him – you know, an insane contract for his age. And once again, it's interesting. I'm a 50, I'm about to turn 55. I'm talking about a 27 year old uh, aging out of a position. But the reality is, is that that's a, that's an epidemic in the NFL is to give older court uh, running backs long-term deals, knowing that that's going to hurt your team down the line. Correct. And I think one of the other things we have to think about is, is Viking is Kirk Cousins. Where is he going to be long-term? Um, you know, where is he going to be long-term? Is it, you know, there's a there's story out of ESPN today talking about the possibility of this being a Kirk Cousins' final training camp with the team. You know, I, again, there's just something about Kirk Cousins and the Vikings, and particularly the Vikings community, where it's a, it's a divided subject. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a, somewhat of a polarizing subject. And I think on paper, uh, Kirk Cousins is a great quarterback. Um, I, I do think that there is a leadership quality that is somewhat missing. And, and I think that this Netflix documentary, again, that I appeared with, with Kirk's cousin, <laughs> I think is going to, I think shines a light on him that I think will give him a boost and a bit of confidence this season to see how he does. Um, um, well, and, and we'll, one last thing here, because we, we got to get into that last break here, but one last thing here is it's going to be the first year in a long time the Green Bay Packers do not have a, an all-star quarterback, and I'm looking so forward to that. <laughs> You're also talking to someone, if you remember, I, I, my wife and I went to the last Aaron Rodgers game at Lambeau Field last season. That's so right. I got to see Aaron Rodgers' last pass as a Packer, last touchdown in Lambeau Field. So, it's great to see. Well, and he's off to the Jets, and the, the Packers are probably off to last place. Anyway, we, 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 we will have to see how that goes. All right, so Michael Broadcorp, once again, I'll post all the links out there. Get the podcast. Michael, anything you need, personal level, man, you call me directly. Let me know. Uh, by all means, man, I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. I am so glad you're back up and running. It's a privilege to have you back for your first long interview here. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the time today. Now, this has been wonderful, Matt, and this has also been great for my for my my recovery and, and my mental health and talking and just being here. Just want to thank you so much for the opportunity again and, and all your listeners. Have a great day, and I look forward to being back on soon. Anytime. We'll have you back in a few weeks, by all means. Michael Broadcorp, kind enough to join us today. We'll take a break. Come on back. Get ready for Patty Vasquez coming up here in the 4 o'clock hour. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950.